Good morning, Northbrook. I'm Melissa, and this is Amanda. She will be speaking uh, the word in Spanish. Um, we will be reading from, can you hear me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we will be reading from Matthew um, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you do not currently have a copy of the written word, you are welcome to take one there at the welcome table in the back. It is our gift to you. Los once discípulos fueron a Galilea, a la montaña que Jesús les había indicado. Cuando lo vieron, lo adoraron, pero algunos dudaban. The Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesús se acercó entonces a ellos y les dijo, Se me ha dado toda autoridad en el cielo y en la tierra. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Por tanto, vayan y hagan discípulos de todas las naciones, bautizándolos en el nombre del Padre y del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo, enseñándoles a obedecer todo lo que les he mandado a ustedes. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Y les aseguro que estaré con ustedes siempre hasta el fin del mundo. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. Great to be with you all this morning. I'm not even sure why, but I just really enjoy that. Yes. It's <laughs> just really fun. I have no idea what's being said half of the time, but I'm really encouraged. And I do, actually, even as that goes on, I think there's a handful of folks that do know what's being said. Uh, and I'm like, man, that's probably fun for you to hear God's word in a language that, even if it's not your first one, uh, another one that you understand. So uh, hopefully you're encouraged by that as well. Um, a couple things I just wanted to mention. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Just what a servant-hearted guy he is. Oh, got in really late last night, so feeling a little parched. But um, the a uh, uh, couple things, you know, obviously we've had a guest preacher over the last couple weeks, and if you've been here, hopefully you've been really encouraged by that. Dave, that closed off the Sermon on the Mount for us, and then Pete, that kicked off uh, this sermon series for us uh, called Scent. And uh, I, I, one of the things I wanted to share with y'all as we get going is really just, you know, guest preacher coming in, you know, you, you kind of talk to him and... Uh, and one of the things they both said was something like, man, I hope you're really encouraged that you're at a church that people just genuinely loved, uh, seem to really love to be there. Uh, like there's just something that as an objective person coming from the outside in, they come and experience Northbrook and you all, so it's not me, it's just it, they're talking about you, uh, you and your heart for one another, your heart for Jesus is something that really encourages them. Um, and so that's just really fun to hear. And I, I experience that each week. I, I feel that. Um, but it's fun to hear that uh, when people come out, they, they feel that as well. Uh, but there's even another thing I wanted to say about that. So th there's a lot of people here that love each other and are encouraged and enjoy each other. Um, but there's some of you that may, even as I say that, you may feel a little on the outside of that. You may feel like, oh man, I, I want to feel that. I'm not sure I do feel uh, connected. And, and one of the things as a church we don't ever want to do is um, promise you things that we can't promise you. 
Like, I've been around church for too long to ever be able to say, oh, if you just do blank, you know, you will be relationally satisfied in every way. Uh, it'll be fine. And what that tends to do is, because sometimes, well, to be honest with you, I have said that to people uh, at times, um, and what that can do is just cause confusion or shame when you do that very thing, and it still doesn't seem to be happening. And so there's sometimes people come in and get connected to a church, and, they, man, they just feel right at home, and there's really, it's just, here they are. And then there's sometimes it can, it can not feel that way. It can be a little more arduous, or it can feel hard, even at a place like this where we want you to be connected, you probably want to be connected. And so I, I say all of that, just realize we're a place where we can have those kinds of honest conversations, and we want to walk with you, we want to be with you, and to be honest with you, we want to trust Jesus with you. And so whether that's Northbrook for you or whether that's a church, maybe even closer in your proximity or for some other reason, the church has another or God has another good gospel preaching church for you where you can get grafted in. Whatever it is, we just want to be a people that walk honestly with you. And we want um, I mean, obviously, this life is hard and relations, relationships can be hard and nothing's perfect. Uh, but we do want you to be uh, in a place where you feel loved, you feel cared for. Uh, and you feel connected. And so by God's grace, uh, Jesus is doing that here. Uh, and so I'm just so thankful. Um, I, was even, I was talking to uh, a guy, we went dove hunting yesterday. Uh, I don't know if that's a humble brag or not, but, uh, and uh, last couple of days, I actually put cologne on this morning just in case there's any lingering, sometimes I overshare. Um, and I think this is an example of that. But uh, I did take so many showers, but you know, I was dove hunting for a couple days. Had to peel my pants off. I'm going to stop oversharing. Uh, but, but did that yesterday and was talking. It was a great group of guys. Uh, it was with a ministry about, you know, what it looks like to be a godly man. And uh, it, was, it was a really sweet time with uh, some guys. And uh, I was talking to one of those guys about this very thing and how, you know what, it, it can just be uh, hard to connect. And uh, there can be different reasons for that. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that. And we want to be a church where that happens by God's grace, uh, and we'll walk with each other um, for as long as the Lord will allow until, we, uh, until you uh, experience Jesus and one another in that kind of way. So in second sermon on this Scent series, going through the Great Commission, um, and you probably don't remember this, but we've been in Matthew a whole lot. You don't remember all of this, like even Advent last year we spent in Matthew 1 and 2, Obviously, you probably remember that we were just in the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're at the very end of Matthew, so the Great Commission. So a lot has gone on between Jesus ending his sermon in Matthew 7 and where we find ourselves at the end of Matthew 28. And, you know, sometimes we, like here in uh, a few weeks, we'll just be in First Peter and we'll be going through a book of the Bible. Uh, and then sometimes we pick out like places like the Sermon on the Mount and teach on a portion of the Bible. But really, we have been pretty purposeful, even though we haven't taught through the book of Matthew, even when we've been topical like we are this week, we're still coming from a book that we've spent a lot of time in. And we should have a little bit more context of what Jesus is talking about and what's going on in the flow of uh, the narrative. But I do want to just do a really quick catch up to get us to where we're at, because uh, a lot of, obviously, the gospel narratives uh, are that. They're, they're narratives. They're, they're stories that are being told, and, and we're supposed to feel stories. We're supposed to be able to put ourselves in them. We're supposed to be un understand, like, this is, Jesus is about to give us an exhortation, but that exhortation isn't just out of nowhere. 
There, there's been a lot that's happened before Jesus gets to all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Um, and so let's kind of catch up to that real quick. Uh, again, he ends the teaching uh, of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And then really chapters 8 and 9, are, we see him teaching in authority. And now he shows and exercises his authority uh, through miracles and signs. Um, and then he sends his disciples out after that to announce the coming of the kingdom. And he continues to show the Pharisees the error and, and teaches in parables and explains them. Uh, we see in, Ma- in Matthew 17, we see the beloved son transfigured. An incredible story, uh, incredible moment in the life of Jesus. So we see him transfigured and talking to Moses and Elijah as he prepares to go to Jerusalem. Um, and then we see the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, we see Jesus' authority as a Messiah in Matthew 21. And then in Matthew 23, uh, probably some of our favorite, is we see all the woes that Jesus gives. Uh, he, he just, uh, he, he condemns the Pharisees in such straightforward of a way that there's no wiggling out of. They've been trying to wiggle around Jesus' words for a long time, and then he goes woe after woe after woe, to, to describe and display the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. If you happen to go back and read Matthew 23, um, it, it would be good to not condemn the Pharisees, but to put yourself in the place of the Pharisees because we all have that in us. And then we see him lament and grieve over Jerusalem. And then Matthew 24 and 25, he, he preaches what's known as the Olivet Discourse when he speaks about his coming and his return uh, when he will judge the living and the dead. And he exhorts us to be watchful and ready. Like we can make whatever chart we want to make about Jesus' return, but the idea of it is that we should be watchful and we should be ready. It's not supposed to affect our minds, it does affect our minds, but it does supposed to affect our lives and and how we uh, live our lives with one another. And then we start to get into really the crucifixion narrative where we see this plot against him, we see Jesus agonizing prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane see him praying, we see him arrested, we see him tried, and then we see him crucified. And so I think it's even helpful even to pause, I'm not gonna read it, but we're, we're gonna hear from the resurrected Jesus, but he was crucified, he died. He, he, he was tried, he was convicted, he had done nothing wrong, and, and he was put to death. Um, and in a horrific way. Um, and so we see his death. Um, we see the testimonies of his, the, the women that are along the side of him all along the way in his burial. Um, and then, as we get to Matthew 28, kind of the context we'll come to is then after that death, we see obviously this empty tomb. Uh, we, we see people encounter the, the risen Jesus. And we see even in that, there's conspiracies to try to deny the truth of Jesus' resurrection and, and covering up of Jesus' resurrection. Two uh, stories that are still present today, as the scriptures say. And then finally, in our passage, we see the risen Jesus Christ. And so here, here is the, the big idea for today. As we talk about being sent as we talk about what it looks like for God uh, to send us and being sent uh, globally and locally to the nations and to the neighborhoods we're in, 
the big idea is that Jesus is worthy of our complete devotion. Jesus is worthy of our complete devotion. And that may sound, even as you think about that, that may sound a little removed from where you think we're going and the practicality of what it looks like to go uh, and make disciples. But here's the thing. If, if Jesus is worthy of our complete devotion and, and we live that way, um, well, let's just say this. If we don't live that way, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we're naturally inclined to do for Jesus. We're going to do what we feel, feel good at doing for Jesus. We're going to do the things that come naturally to us as we think of following Jesus. And we're kind of going to ignore the things that aren't that way. The things that we don't feel inclined to. The things that we don't feel incredibly gifted at. Now, even as we talk about what we're going to talk about today, there are people that have more gifting than others. But there's a clear call that God puts on all of our lives that we need to understand that Jesus is completely worthy of every aspect of our devotion, of every aspect of our lives, and being devoted to him uh, in every aspect of our lives. And I think when we lose sight of that, this sharing the gospel, or I mean, there's so many things we call this stuff, uh, evangelism, or living missionally, or uh, sharing the gospel, and it's all, we're all kind of hopefully trying to say the same thing, but it's just much easier to put that to the side or ignore it, or man, that's for someone that's gifted at that, or I'm just going to be really busy over here doing all the things I, I feel more enjoy from and better at, and it just makes me happier, and, and I'm going to ignore this. But what are we doing? We're saying Jesus is not worthy of complete devotion of our lives uh, when we do that. And so that's, that's the big uh, idea that we'll, we'll see today, is that Jesus is worthy of your complete devotion. And so these first kind of couple verses, even into verse 18, are really still narrative. So it's still, still being told a story before we get to Jesus' exhortation. And so we should kind of feel, uh, that's one of the reasons I kind of recap us, get to this point, we should kind of even be willing to drop ourselves into this narrative and feel what some of these disciples might have felt and, and what we feel even as we read this story. So in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And so through Mary Magdalene and his mother Mary, they, they gave direction to, to go and meet him in this mountain. Uh, and I think even if we're going to drop ourselves in the, the narrative, I think it, it would be appropriate for us to think about the most dramatic thing that we have ever been through. Like the most dramatic period of our life, the most, most dramatic experience of our life, the most traumatic. How you, you can't use a big enough word there to think about the experience that this, I mean, they're if you just think about their, one of their good friends just dying this gruesome death, much less the, the, the one that they believe is the Messiah and trying to figure out how this works. This is an incredibly traumatic situation. And then if you think about different disciples, maybe even you've been in those kinds of situations and you've been like Peter, who you've made, you've made some really regretful decisions in that drama and that, and that traumatic situation. It's like you've made some decisions that you are ashamed of. Um, and so that's the kind of moment where they're experiencing this risen Christ. And if you piece together the, the kind of timeline of the resurrection, they, they've likely seen him at, at least once before this moment uh, quickly, but they're still trying to come to grips with, okay, what in the world is, is going on here? What's happening? What, is, what does all of this mean? Um, and that's the kind of situation where we see them in and they're going to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they are obviously leaving Jerusalem and going back to Galilee, which they would have been doing anyway after the, the feast of unleavened bread was done. And so they're heading back. But now they realize that 
they're heading back and, you know, in this long journey and they're going to they're gonna see the, reason, the risen Jesus again um, and still trying to come to grips with all that that means, which, which we see reflected in, in verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I think we can put a little too much or maybe too little at times into, into that verse. Even if you look at Luke 24, 41, it, it, they have a similar response to the risen Jesus. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And so that idea of Luke 24 could even be present. Like there's this disbelief of like just what is going on here? What is happening? It's not necessarily, although there are the Thomases in the group or there are people that maybe have just a good old-fashioned doubt, I'm not sure, but it's definitely probably more of a spectrum of even people that are pretty clear that this is Jesus and he's risen, but they're like, I don't know all that this implies or all that this means. Or again, they're like Peter and they're like, man, I've done so much wrong against this man just recently and now he's resurrected. What in the world does this mean for me? Uh, like there's that whole spectrum here of, of a response uh, to Jesus. And then I, 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 this was new to me this week in verse 18. I think it's just those first seven words. Just look at these in verse 18, not the whole verse, just the first part of it. This is where the narrative kind of ends. And, and Jesus came and said to them, or just even focus on those first three words, and Jesus came. And so in the Greek, this implies that there was distance that needed to be covered between the disciples and Jesus. They were there, they saw him, he saw them, but there was still distance. There was still this gap. And guys, we have a God that, that comes to us in that gap. We, we have a Jesus that comes to us. Some of us are worshiping, some of us are doubting, some of us are unclear. And what did Jesus do? He, he came to them in that. It's so incredible. It's actually the, the same Greek word that we see in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near, that's the same Greek word, to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We're exhorted to draw near to Jesus because Jesus draws near to us. The disciples can worship him, they can be sent, they can come near to him because Jesus and his sovereign, loving, gracious, kind will draws near to them. This is, this is the gospel. The disciples didn't deserve that. They hadn't earned that. I mean, just read and you'll see. They, it's like, yeah. You look at our life, look at our yesterday or the day before, look at our this morning, Look at the totality of our lives. There's nothing we've done to, to earn Jesus drawing near to us. But the risen, resurrected Christ draws near. That's, uh, that's encouraging. I, I pray it is encouraging to you. I think about even just the gods of this world. I think as we've even been thinking about, you know, more Muslim nations and, and the, this predicament that, that Muslims find themselves in of being completely devoted to God, which many of them are incredibly devoted, but with this kind of unanswered question of, is their devotion enough? Is it going to be enough? Um, 
I think about Buddhism where you have to try to kind of weigh this do more right than more wrong and kind of balance the karma scale. And if something bad happened to you, then man, something you must have done something bad. Maybe it was even in a past life, something you have seemingly no control over even now, or even if it's just the God of our age, like whether you're an atheist or whether you're something else or even a, just the God of our age where you have to be angry about all the right things and support all the right things. And there's this new law that it's really hard to figure out. It's always changing. And, and the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, he comes and he says, you can't figure it out. You're, you're never going to be devoted enough. And so I devote myself to you. I come to you. This is, this is the God we have. He sees us standing far off and he comes to us. And he shows us himself. That's what he shows us. That's what he showed Thomas, his nail-scarred hands. He shows him who he is. He shows us who he is. He doesn't hide who he is. You may not be listening, but he's not hiding. Jesus is very clear about who he is. And this Jesus, again, is worthy of our complete devotion for many reasons, but obviously also because he comes to us in our sin and our doubt, and he shows us himself. And he comes to us and he comes to the disciples in this moment and, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is really one of the things this is, is kind of the why statement of the Great Commission. Like if you think about the Great Commission, a lot of it is do. Like it's like it's the what. What are we to do? We're to go. We're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. We're, gonna, we're to do a lot. But this is kind of that uh, why statement. Uh, why do we go? Why do we make disciples? And it's because everything that we said earlier means that Jesus is the type of Savior that we would want. But he also is the one that has all power. He's not, like I think about, it makes me think about my favorite Disney movie, uh, Sword in the Stone. I used to have to like convince my kids to watch it because I turn it on, they're like, oh, this is one of those old ones. And uh, like the credits are at the beginning, which that was a good shift. Uh, but, uh, um, but, it's, but it's like, it, so this makes me think of that in the sense of King Arthur, he's, he's, the, one, he's the king we want. He's the king we desire. It's like, man, I love this unassuming, good, kind kid to become king. But he didn't pull that sword out of the stone. We're left just wanting this kid to be king, but he does not have the power. But when he does, he, he, he has the power and the kindness. And so it's not like Jesus, to be honest with you, even if you're not a Christian, Jesus should, should be the kind of Savior you would want. But then we see he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's just not the kind of Savior we want. He's the one that has all authority and all power over all things. Um, he's, the, he's the Savior that is. Um, and praise God that he's also the Savior that we want. Uh, and, and I think even as we come to Jesus, I think it's fine, even if you're a non-Christian and you're thinking about what does it look like to come to faith and what does it look like to give my life to Jesus and hand authority over to him, those are fine things to say and things you, you can say, but here what is, here's what is always the reality. Jesus already has all authority over your life. None of us give him anything. He is in no need. What we do, whether we're saying something else or not, is we're recognizing Jesus, all authority is yours. 
You've always had authority. You've been there with me from the very beginning when I was a confused little kid, when I was a struggling teenager. Even in those moments, you had all authority over my life. And now I just acknowledge that reality. And we ask the Spirit, would you help me? Would you help me live in light of this reality? Would you, would you work this deeper into my soul that I believe it more and more that Jesus has all authority uh, on heaven and earth? And this is what we do as Christians and uh, what, we, what we do when we become a Christian and what we continue to do as Christians is, Jesus, I've been living this area of my life as if you don't have authority here, as if I'm the one in charge, but yet you do. Spirit, would you forgive me? Would you help me live in light of this reality? Jesus is, is worthy of our complete devotion for many reasons, but obviously because he has all authority. And then we see him say in verse 19, maybe the part we're more familiar with here, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And uh, one of the things I, I want to try to do here is we, we know this verse. It's straightforward. You don't need me to exegete the Greek here. What Jesus is saying, we, we get. Uh, but what I want us to try to understand is, is just some really, some deep level spiritual work that needs to happen here and some very practical work uh, that needs to happen here as we think about uh, making disciples uh, of all nations. And, and one of the things I want to say, even as I think I've, we've talked about this, is we think about even uh, social things or, or local missions to, to be a part of, or, you know, it's just infinite. Like the things we could do at Northbrook Church, there is just almost an infinite list of things we can be involved of and involved in. And so even as we think about uh, evangelism, as we think about being on mission and, and nations and the neighborhoods, what I would hope is that we would have a big heart towards all things towards all people that are going to the nations, towards all people that are uh, looking to equip and send people locally uh, to their neighbors and at their workplace and empower them. As we discern, Spirit, how are you, uh, what opportunities are you bringing to us? How are you wanting to be, us, how are you wanting us to be strategic with the, because what is finite is us. There's a certain amount of people, there's a certain amount of capacity and energy we have, there's a certain amount of resources God has given us, and so although the opportunities are endless, our ability to be a part of those opportunities are incredibly finite. And so God, how do you best want us to steward? Uh, and so even as we, Pete talked about global missions last week, even as the elders prayed, uh, we want to be about what God's doing in the nations, but we can't be about everything God is doing in the nations. And so, God, would you lead us and would you guide us? And as we prayed and considered, we think, God, what, what, how could you use us to be a part of what you're doing among the unreached and unengaged people, people that have never heard the name of Jesus? How, how can we be a part uh, of that work? And so, um, and then in that, there's still a ton of options. And so as a church, as you think of us, as you think of this, share, share what's on your heart, share what's on your mind. Maybe that's one of the ways God's bringing uh, clarity. But again, we want uh, the spirit to continue. That was why we took all of the elders to Jordan to consider and think and meet with people. And God, what are you doing here? And how can we use the limited resources you've given us to be a part of uh, what you're doing, but we want to, and so even in doing that, that doesn't mean we don't have a heart for all things. We just recognize that we're, we're limited and, and we want to uh, be faithful to what God has done, for, uh, you know, given us and what he's calling us to do. Um, and so I guess I should state plainly, I, I remember I was actually I was at another church and we were, we had an application for something that someone was filling out. Um, and, uh, and it was talking about sharing the gospel. 
and, and one of the people uh, filled out the application with how they talk about the gospel with Christians. And I thought, man, that's good. Praise God for that. Uh, that's a really good thing. But just to be clear, that's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says going and making disciples of all nations. And so, like, there's a clear reality of, of Jesus is talking, like, making a disciple means someone's not a disciple, and they, God, by his grace, makes them a disciple, and we are called into that work. And so, as Christians, goodness gracious, hopefully we're talking about the gospel, and we do need to continue to equip and encourage one another to do that with each other. And I say hopefully, I don't take that for granted. It's a beautiful thing that God does. But just to say clearly... Jesus is talking about talking to non-Christians about the, the good news that he lived and died and raised, that their sins might be forgiven. Um, and then one other aside here, kind of along those lines, in verse 20, we see that teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that, that like this, this, what this does is Jesus is so wise and he's pressing against, you know, the, the big crusade where all kinds of people get saved, perhaps, and then who knows what happens. Like Jesus is saying, that, that is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is seeing people come to know and follow him and continue to follow him in a local church. That's what, that's like the baptized part of that is an aspect of what the local church is meant to do. And so that's what Jesus is talking, so we don't, uh, but here's the thing, guys, we're ready for this. Like we're, I mean, it may be hard, but if a lot of people came to faith, we've got things in place to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded them. We have Bible studies. We have community groups. We have a long list of people that would love to walk with a new believer and disciple them and what it looks like to follow Jesus. So it's not, we're not, we're not lacking for resources in the teaching them to observe part. And again, that's a beautiful thing. That's not to be taken for granted, but we're, we're maybe a little heavy in one and a little light in the what does it look like to um, make disciples. And so, okay, sorry, those are a few asides, a little context around what that, this looks like here at Northbrook. But I, need, I think we need to see two key things if by God's grace we might even see a revival of disciples being made here at Northbrook. And they're just two words, repentance and work. Repentance uh, and work. Even as you think about our life, you think about all authority in heaven and earth uh, is given to Jesus. You think about he's worthy of all devotion. I mean, it's good just to consider how much of our life is given to this. Now, that, that can be a very guilt question, and we just got to get over that. It doesn't mean we can't ask the question. Like, you can, we can be afraid of that question. Like, Jake, you're just trying to make me feel guilty. Well, I don't know if you're going to feel guilty or not, but how, how do we not ask that question? How do we not consider Jesus has called us to make disciples? How much of our life is given to this very thing? And, and some of you may be really encouraged, and some of you may be really discouraged, and some of you may naturally feel guilty. I, I don't know what the feeling is, but obviously it's a worthy question. Um, and, and we have to get over the guilt and not let the guilt uh, keep us from uh, considering with God and who he is. And again, whatever guilt's there, what does Jesus do? He comes to you in that. He cares for you. He tends to you. He has all the grace in the world for whatever sin might be exposed by that very question. Uh, what sometimes happens is we don't actually want to need Jesus for this very thing, so we just kind of ignore him. And we really need Jesus for this. We really do. I mean, isn't that why he says all authority is his and, and he's going to be with us to the end of the age? 
Sometimes that we need, he, you know, he's going to be with us to the end of the age. It's kind of like icing on the cake because we're not doing this. When we're doing this, we, we really need him. Uh, we, we really do. Not to say that there aren't other areas where we do, but, but we really do. So it's just good to consider. Um, and I think, just in case anybody's like this, this may be unhelpful, but um, it's not always a good way to start a statement. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes people try to get theologically get out of the Great Commission. It's like, man, this is for the disciples, for the apostles at the beginning of the church. I would challenge you to find something in the Great Commission that's not throughout the book of Acts, that's not throughout Paul's letters to the church, that's not throughout other aspects of the gospel where Jesus is obviously equipping his people for his work. Like what, what Jesus talks about here in the Great Commission is just present throughout all of the scriptures, even into the Old Testament where God is sending and telling uh, his people to be about all nations. Um, so we, we need to come to grips with Jesus. This is uh, for us. Um, and here's one of the things about repentance. Even as you think about the common struggles we all have here, like, oh, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Well, like, if I'm going to talk to a non-Christian about the gospel, I have no idea what to say. Or if we think about, man, I just don't want to risk relational awkwardness. Uh, or I don't want to, I don't want to risk this relationship. Like this could actually, you know, really haunt, not just be relationally awkward for this moment, but this is a relationship I really like. And if I in, engage in this kind of conversation, it could really risk the relationship. Uh, and there's just a long list um, uh, of these kinds of struggles. But one of the reasons I bring up repentance is because I don't think we just need like a gimmick to correct that struggle. I don't like, oh, I'm not worthy. I don't want to risk this relationship or I don't know what to say. Like if we just go below the line a little bit, surely we can kind of get to even the main idea that, oh, I, I am not living as if Jesus is worthy of my complete devotion here. I, I am living as if risking this relationship is worthy of my complete devotion or not knowing what to say is, is you know, my, my image is worthy of my complete devotion. Or again, we, we all have different things and different reasons, and really even we all have all kinds of different ones in different moments that we don't do this. Uh, but, but before we need to figure out a trick, I think we need to cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have been living my life as if you're not worthy in this area. You're not worthy in this moment. You're not worthy for the risk that it would take. You're not worthy of the courage that it would take uh, in this moment. That there has to be real repentance. We can't, we can't gloss over heart-level work that needs to happen with some kind of idea. Um, and so we need repentance. And that's different for all of us. But secondly, we need to work. And I use work very intentionally. Because if you do anything uh, worth doing, it's, it's hard. Even if you think about make disciples, if you've ever made anything, um, I think about David Brown who makes beautiful furniture. Like if you look at a piece of beautiful furniture, we would all know there was a lot of work that went into that. It didn't, didn't just happen. There was experience. There was mistakes. There was learning. There was, it was time and energy and sweat and tears. And this is one of those areas, I think, again, maybe because there's even a lack of repentance, there's also a lack of work. 
There's a lack of just putting time and energy into this. What does it look like to try to grow in this? What does it look like to try to understand how, again, an idea is not going to fix our struggle. We need repentance. But then what does it look like to put time into considering what it looks like to talk to people about Jesus? Uh, We don't know what to say. Is it common? Probably many of us think that. How much effort have we put into trying to consider what we would say? How many times have we just written out you know what, what would I say if someone asked me about my faith? What would I say if I wanted to share my story? Like just good old fashioned work where you put, you're sitting down in front of a computer, in front of a journal, and you're considering what it might look like uh, to grow uh, in this area. I, I think a few practical ways to be proactive in this area. Proactive is just a great piece of this. We were, um, we were with the leaders uh, the other day and talking about these uh, go groups that we're starting is just one of the proactive ways we're trying to uh, um, grow as a church in this area. And it was uh, Brian Doiser. He was he made that statement. I was like, Hey, what do y'all think about this idea? What do you what's uh, you know as we talk about this? How does this hit you? Um, and Brian was like, Man, one of the things I love about it it's just proactive. It's not just reactive. And sometimes we're, we're just only reactive here. Like, man, if the perfect situation falls in my lap, one out of ten times I may capitalize on it. Um, and, you know, as opposed to what does it look like to actually be proactive here? So as a church, if we, I haven't said it clearly, we're starting go groups that are just built around what does it look like to equip and encourage and be accountable in this area um, to one another. And so we're starting a pilot group right now, met for the first time uh, last week. Y'all can pray for us. And then we hope to, Lord willing, make them available in the, the months to come. Um, but so that's one thing we're doing as a church and one of the things we want to eventually make available to everybody. Um, but what does it look like for you to work a, a few practical, uh, things to be proactive in this way? One is pray. It's incredibly practical, incredibly practical to pray about this. Um, like that, uh, again, just think of the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. We, we have no power to save. We have no ability to save. We have no uh, ability to get the right words or do the right thing or figure it out. Uh, God has all power and ability to save, and he's the one that's told us with all of that, then he's told me and you to go and make disciples. But when we go, we don't, we don't, we don't get all. He doesn't say, hey, you have all authority now. He didn't say, hey, you're going to you know, be with each other through the end of the age to help make this happen, although community is a big part of it. He says, I have all authority, and I will be with you. And so, brothers and sisters, we have to pray. Even that question earlier, how much of your life is devoted to, to making disciples, your prayer life is a great example of that. My prayer life is a great example of that. How often am I praying for this very thing? Um, but we need... Uh, to pray. Um, And again, I think when we are actively sharing our faith, uh, we will need Jesus in this new kind of way. When he says, behold, I'll be with you to the end of the age, we need Jesus now. We need him for uh, unmet desires we have. We need him for uh, suffering we endure, and we should cry out to him for those ways. But this is one of the ways Jesus means for us to need him. And maybe one of the ways we've stopped needing him because we've stopped engaging. Um, I was convicted, actually, at the, the first Go Group meeting we had this last week. I was convicted. I was just thinking about when I worked at the post office, how often I used to pray 
Jesus, would you just help me speak your name to a non-Christian today? Would you help your name come up in conversation today? Uh, like, I'm not, I'm not praying, like, not even just save this person or not even I get to share the gospel. Like, can I just say the name of Jesus to someone that doesn't know you in conversation today? And how often I would pray that then compared to now. Uh, I was convicted and, and, and encouraged and uh, led to repentance and continued repentance about that. And, and God, would you, would you help me? Would you help reinvigorate that aspect of my prayer life? that uh, you would move in my heart and life uh, in that way. And so we need to pray. And then secondly, this is one of the things I've been more um, convinced of. When Jesus tells us to go, there's this idea that we're continually going with this idea that we would get that opportunity. And some of us, to be honest with you, we just stay kind of content or stuck maybe even in the current relational uh, uh, relationships that we have and we don't look to actually try to create or try to find a steady flow of new relationships with the hopes of opportunities to, to speak of Jesus. And, and, and that's not necessarily an easy thing to do, but it is a good thing to, to put time and energy and thought and work into. Is there something we could do? Can we go join a gym with that hope? Oh, that doesn't work because everybody's got headphones in and we don't get to talk to anybody. Then can we go do something else? Do we, or even when we're doing things. So it's maybe something that we're already doing when we're on a, a baseball team, when we're doing whatever. Like, are we thinking about new opportunities and meeting new people with the hope that God's going to save some and we're going to get to be a part, of, be, be able to play uh, a part in that. And so just the idea of being really thoughtful about going in that continual kind of way. Um, and, go, and again, not going, this, we can take this all kinds of ways. And if you have any struggles with what I'm saying, I'd love to talk to you about it. But it's not as we go to people as they're these projects that, guys, if we just believe the Bible, we don't ever meet anyone that's not an image bearer of God and need to be reconciled to the very God that they're an image bearer of. And so, I mean, I remember, I think I've shared this before, but I was talking to a gal at the post office a long time ago, and she was being really sarcastic, and she was like, Jake, do you just want me to become a Christian and start following Jesus, and you'd feel good about yourself? Um, it was out of nowhere. I was like just sitting there doing work. I was like, okay, I guess we're having this conversation. Um, and, uh, but I did, I was like, man, if I believe you're made in God's image, if I believe that, uh, that, that the, the, there is deep joy for you to be had in Jesus, that I believe that there's an eternity where you're going to be with this Jesus or you're going to be separate from him, how could I want anything else? Like how, I mean, so she's not a, I mean, in that sense, she really, I mean, she was a good friend. Um, but, but it's that, that that's, that's our hope. No, no, people aren't projects. We, we love people. It's, it's out of love. Um, and, and people obviously can, can sense that uh, one way or the other. Whether that's someone we newly know or someone we've known for a long time, we can share out of a love. Um, when, we're, when we're not repenting, when we're just creating this kind of, okay, I feel guilty about this, so I got this new thing I'm going to try, that's when people tend to be projects. But when we're experiencing God's love for us and walking out of that, uh, then, then we treat them as people. Um, and continue to meet people. Um, one, uh, one other just really uh, practical thing I would encourage you to do um, is write your testimony. I just write your testimony. Like some of you said it, we, we heard uh, Eric, Eric's testimony on the way to go dove hunting the uh, other night, and it was just so encouraging. And one of the things I was thinking about as he was sharing that, I was like, man, what an encouraging thing 
for non-Christians to hear, just how God has worked in his life. Uh, and Amber's too, he, he shared yours too, mostly. Um, but, um, and uh, I was, but like, what an encouraging thing. Um, and that was a long car ride. Uh, but r- like, write out your testimony, but here's what you need to do from there. Write out a 30-second testimony. Like, what, what does it look like for you to share uh, what God has done in your life personally in 30 seconds when you have an opportunity? Like, something as simple, man, as I thought I had to be good to be right with God. I thought God wanted no fun for me. And then I realized Jesus was the only one that was good. And that, actually, I find true joy in him. Like, something as simple, and, and it sometimes takes work. Like, that, that long testimony, getting to that short testimony. But again, what is that? That's just time. That's energy. That's considering what it looks like when you have opportunity to how to make the most of those kinds of opportunities. That's living this area of your life as if Jesus is worthy of complete devotion. So it's worth, it's worth putting some time and some energy into. And let's be honest, guys. We, don't, we, we have the time. I mean, we don't have to talk about that. Just We get the report most Sundays, or I get it on Sunday, about how, many, how much time. I don't even look at it. I don't. Uh, but you should probably, you probably should. Um, and we, we have a lot of time to, to put work into this, and, and we need to take the time uh, to do that. Um, and then one of the things I would encourage you to do is even just think about questions. Some of us are naturally gifted at questions, and so to be honest with you, that's one of the ways that it's been easier for me to share the gospel is learning about people's story, learning about where, what they've believed and, and asking more questions, and then sometimes it can naturally come up there. But a lot of us aren't really gifted at asking questions, and so you need to put some work in there. Like, what does it look to ask people about their life and get to know and be curious and ask, include their spiritual background and religion as part of those Questions. A lot of people are probably more willing to talk about that when you're getting to learn about them, um, and then we can find opportunities to talk about, again, even in those 30-second uh, uh, story kind of ways, what that maybe has looked like uh, for us. Um, so repentance and work. Um, again, because Jesus is worthy of complete devotion in every aspect uh, of our life. And I just to say it again, we have to be about relationships with people over programs, over numbers, manipulation. Churches do so many weird things here. They make altar calls where they have deacons go forward first so it looks like a lot of people are coming forward so other people will. I mean, there's just weird things churches do here. Um, and we've got to be over getting to know people, loving people, being genuine, being who we are, fumbling through who we are, being honest with people. Like, you know what, this is hard for me to talk about with you, but I think it's important. Um, like, we can just be who we are uh, in this, um, and, and we must be about people uh, more than numbers. We should be more concerned about who is being baptized than the number of people being baptized. Like, who do we know? Who, who, who do we have a heart to see get baptized? And who do we want God to save uh, than a number of who, how many God might save? And isn't Jesus our model there? Him being sent to us, it's the most relational thing that's ever happened in the universe. And that's our, our model. It wasn't a program. It was God coming near and drawing near. He so loved us that he came. He so loved that he sent the only son. The spirit so loves that he indwells and moves and cares and tends even now. Uh, we have a God that is more relational than any of us. 
and, and he's called us to, to, be, to, to model him in that way, even as we share his good news uh, with others. Um, and that's, again, why he emphasizes the very last lines. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This Jesus is worthy of our complete devotion. So let's repent. Let's put in God-honoring work. And let's see what God might do. Let me pray for us towards that end. Jesus, in this moment, I am just moved by your love for me. I mean, you, you love me, and it's just, at times that's so ordinary, and at times because, Spirit, your kindness, it just, it feels very miraculous. Um, and so, Spirit, I just pray for your kindness. Would you, would you do that kindness in our midst even now? Would you help us experience and feel the depths of Christ's love for us? And in that, would we bow? Would we lay down? Would we look? Would we just give you everything? Again and always. Not in this one-time kind of way or fleeting moment, but again and again and again, recognizing that you're worthy of devotion. You're worthy of complete devotion of all of our lives. And Spirit, when you reveal where there's, there's areas where we have not been walking in that, that is grace. That is your kindness that leads us to repentance there. There's all kinds of things we don't know about. When we can know there's a way that we need to lay our own life down and, and live for Jesus, that is, that is your grace and mercy. And so would we feel that? Would we experience that? Would, would that grace and that mercy and, and spirit, your, your holy rot repentance in our life lead and be the, the wind in ourselves to do good work for your sake and for your kingdom? to put in time and energy and blood, sweat and tears, not to earn everything, but because you have earned everything for us and there's nothing left to do with our lives, but to give them back to you in this way. So Spirit, I, I want to acknowledge we have a lot going on. And, and even if we think about your scriptures, your scriptures call us to much. So this isn't the only thing, but we also just recognize this is something we so often neglect. And so even in that, would you give us wisdom? Would you keep us from the enemy just wanting to shroud this in a confusing guilt and something that just keeps us stuck? Uh, would you give us wisdom to actually just know what it looks like to pursue you, to, to repent uh, well, to work well, uh, to be faithful to you in this way? Um, we, we, we need you. So thank you that, that you have promised to be with us to the end of the age. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.